Well, as we've been going through these first few verses, we realize there's many blessings, past blessings, present blessings, future blessings. The Lord has, past tense, blessed us already with all spiritual blessings because it's not hinged on your performance. It's not hinged on your good works or your bad works. It's hinged on God's faithfulness alone. So all the blessings come to us because God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. How worthy were those people around the cross there when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Did they deserve forgiveness? Were they even thinking of being forgiven? Were they even feeling guilty for what they were doing to Jesus? It doesn't appear that very many were. But those who caught it and heard it, they received it. The thief next to him had faith in Jesus and he received by faith that blessing from the Lord in the present and in the future. And guess what? In the past as well. Because when that thief on the cross said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know what, know what they do. And the thief, the thief said, I believe that. Then all your sins of the past are washed away. Jesus justified us just as if he had never sinned. In the present, he was received by the Father as his child and given the gift of eternal life. That's a pretty smart thief, huh? <laughs> stole it all, stole all the blessings in the last moments of his life. And he gave us the great example. Because the thief's hands were tied to the cross, he could do no good works. His feet were tied to the cross. He could do no good works. He would be dead on that cross, never to do any work to gain the past forgiveness of all his sins, the present receiving of the Father to himself, and the future blessings that are held for him in spiritual places for eternity. To say to us, it's not by our works, but by God's goodness, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. And so we come now to verse 11, and it says, In him he also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I want to concentrate on that part. In him we have also obtained an inheritance. The word in, to here is actually to cast lots or to assign a blessing by lot. You might remember in the Old Testament when Israel came into the promised land and they had divided up the land, which tribe would go where? It was by the casting of lots that they received their inheritance in the promised land. In Numbers 33, 54, and you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger, you shall give a larger inheritance. And to the smaller, you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. Well, that was the Old Testament. By contrast now, 
Our inheritance has been given to us by the Father, by, notice, predestination, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Next week, we're going to do an entire message on predestination and understanding it biblically, not through the eyes of a Calvinist. They've really messed it up. Presbyter- the, the predestination is four times in the Bible, and it's very clear what it is. And it's a blessing, a great blessing, when you understand what it is. Well, what is our inheritance? Today, that's what we're going to look at. Number one, our inheritance is a gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's a gift like salvation. Matter of fact, the very first thing we inherited from Christ is our salvation. In Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister, referring to angels, for those who will inherit salvation? Salvation, the actual salvation, is being made perfectly righteous in heavenly bodies with the Lord in heaven. When you read about salvation in the New Testament, yes, it's being forgiven of sins, but more than that, it's being given the gift of righteousness. To what degree? The exact righteousness of Jesus. So when the Father looks at Jesus, his Son, in perfect righteousness, he looks at you right next to him and sees exactly that same righteousness as Jesus. We could never attain to that. One, to attain to that, you could never have sinned. Well, forget that. That boat's already sailed like a million times, right? (laughs) Jesus never sinned ever. Not once, not in the past, not in the present, not in the future. Jesus never sinned. And so his righteousness is a genuine, true righteousness that we can never, ever attain to. But he gives us, as a part of salvation, his righteousness. But his righteousness in these sinful bodies still doesn't look very righteous, does it? These, our flesh is powerful stuff, isn't it? Our sinful mind. And even our will is weakened by our flesh. Because in my spirit, I want to say yes to Jesus and no to my flesh. In my spirit, I'm perfect. It's always a perfect yes to walking in holiness and righteousness and purity. Always, 100%. But yet, I find that the willing in my flesh is not the same. A matter of fact, it's, it's, it's uh, batting a thousand too. <laughs> my flesh, every single time, wants to do that which is sinful by human nature, by fallen human nature. And so there's this war going on, the spirit against the flesh. And so that war ending in our brand new bodies, that's salvation. And again, we inherit it if you are a child of God. Secondly, every promise, all the promises. In Ephesians 6, 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience, inherit the promises. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yes, 
and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. We're going to talk about this. This is going to be a whole nother sermon. Those two words, in him. Matter of fact, we're going to talk a lot about it next week. Because that's what we're predestined in, in him. And so as we are in Christ, all the promises that Jesus receives from his father is all the promises we receive from the father. Because in him, there's no lack. Why would anything be withheld from us? We are God's child. We're perfect in his sight. My sight? No. Your sight? No. God the Father's sight? Yes. And so all the promises given unto the Son are also ours. Boy, those promises, it would take uh, eternity to tell all of those promises. The third thing is eternal life. In Matthew 19, 29, and everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and wife and children and lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. It makes it clear in Luke, in this life and inherit eternal life. So it starts now. You see, eternal life is not an existence of time because those who don't believe are going to go to hell for eternity. Every human being that's been created lives forever. But there's a big difference between existing forever in hell. That's not eternal life, is it? It's eternal damnation. That's what we're fighting for. We're fighting that nobody would perish. We're fighting not that good men would be better. That Americans would be a better American and be Republican, and then they'll be a really good American once they join the Republican Party. We're not fighting for that, are we? The stakes are much, much steeper. We're fighting for men not to go to hell, and there's no place in between. There's no purgatory or non-existence or limbo or reincarnation. Men are either in hell or in heaven at the end. And so we are fighting with that in mind. And those who believe on the Lord have eternal life. And that starts now. It's a quality. It's a quality where we are in Christ and Christ in us. And we have this fellowship with him right now. And so right now we are living eternally in these human bodies. And boy, am I glad we're not living eternally the way it is right now. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses say. Oh, you want to live forever on earth? No, not like this. That's a blessing? What are you trying to do? That seems like a you know, second hell. But to live forever on earth in a brand new body? Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So we need to get and understand here that the gift of God is eternal life. His inheritance to us is a quality that is right now as we learn to walk in him, have fellowship with him. In Titus 3, verse 5 through 7, not by works of righteousness which we have done, important, important, 
But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by grace, just as if we've never sinned, we shall become what? Heirs according to the hope. Hope in English and hope in the Greek are two different things. The hope in the Greek is a certainty. And that's really what it should say. According to the certainty of eternal life in our brand new bodies with him. I'd just like to stop and have a little commercial break here. Maybe you're asking that question right now. How, how can I know that I could inherit eternal life, salvation, all the promises of God? It's very simple. Believe in him. In John 3, verse 14 through 15, and Moses lifted, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him should not be perished, but have eternal life. The children of Israel were being murmuring, complaining, evil people, stinking manna, this food from heaven. We ate it. And they were complaining, and, and unbeknownst to them, God was protecting them from all kinds of things. They just didn't know it. And one of the things God had been protecting them through the desert is all the snakes stayed in the hole when they came by. But as they murmured or complained, God says, you don't understand all the blessings I'm pouring upon you. I'm just gonna take my hand of protection away for a second and let the snakes come out of the hole. And they were poisonous and people were dying. And Moses cried out, God, have mercy. And God said, take a serpent, yes, representing Satan, the devil, evil, murmuring, complaining, and put it on a pole. I believe it was the tribe of Judah's pole. And when they get bit by the snake, they won't die of the poison if they look at the bronze serpent on the pole. You see, it wasn't by their work. It was by their faith in God and in God's ability to conquer their sin. God's ability to be gracious to them by faith, not by works. And Jesus said it's the same thing. After I raise again from the dead, it's just like that. Men look at me upon the pole, the cross, and they see me paying for their sins there, and they believe that the poison of sin will not kill them, but they will live if they look upon Christ. That's it. How do I receive eternal life? Look unto Jesus and believe. In John 3, 16, he makes it clear. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Oh. Matthias bet me I wouldn't do that to wake you guys up. So I won the bet, the burrito. Um, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. There it is. Again, what do we do? Believe in Jesus, that he is a God of grace, that he's the same God who says for not just those around the cross, but all of mankind for all times, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And there, if we will simply look upon Jesus and believe that he's paying for our sins. He died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. 
then you're saved. That's it. I know it sounds too simple. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds too inclusive. It doesn't sound very exclusive. God doesn't want it to be exclusive. He wants it to be whoever will believe of all tongues and nations of people. In John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. There it is. Boy, memorize that one. John 6, 47, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. In John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me and I, what? Give them eternal life. If you can hear God's voice right now and you have faith in him as your shepherd, then you have at this moment eternal life and you shall never perish. That's off the table. You're not going to hell. You're not going to die and be permanently dead, to be absent from his body, to be present with the Lord. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. In John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John is writing the same one who wrote the gospel of John, writing the letter of 1 John. I want you to know that you know that you know you will not perish. I want you to know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And you never let that go. You don't doubt it. You don't question it. You don't wonder about it. No. You believe and that's it. You have everlasting life. In, John, in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, 9 through 13, this is the way Paul says it. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is what? Rich to all who call upon his name, even a thief on the cross who has moments to live. And in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's just stop for a moment. If that's you, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching on social media right now or maybe hearing this 10 years later from the website or the app or whatever, YouTube. Right now, God's giving you this message to believe in him right now. That's it. You're, you're saved. I'm going to pray a prayer and, and, and follow that along and let it express the attitude of your heart. This prayer doesn't save you. Your faith has already saved you. But now just let this be a prayer of worship of your salvation. God, I know that I have sinned against you I am deserving of punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in him, I could be forgiven. I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness. Amen. Well, going back to the sermon now, 
The fourth thing we inherit is heaven. In Matthew 25, 34, then the king shall say to those on his right, his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, I love this, from the foundation of the world. In John 14, one through four, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Maybe that's a word for some of you guys after this election. God is still on the throne. And uh, nobody's going to replace the real authority, right? And the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he pleases. And uh, also, it's only four years and we have the Senate. That should help. Anyway, <laughs> let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Here it is, guys. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Well, how? By faith in God's grace. By believing Jesus has paved the way of salvation by dying on the cross and raising again from the dead. That is the narrow way that leads to life through Christ alone, by faith alone, and his grace. Number five is we will reign with Christ for a thousand year millennial reign on this earth. Interesting, isn't it? Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In Revelation 20, I saw the thrones in verse 4 through verse 6. And they sit on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and the word of God, and those who worshiped the beast, his image, and not received the mark. These are those who died during the tribulation period on their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So at the end of the tribulation period, those that had died, those who had been raptured, those who had died in the Lord, throughout history, and now these from the tribulation period as well. But the rest of the dead, that's us now in verse 5, did not live again till a thousand years were finished in the first resurrection. Blessed are the holy, he is, is he who has parted in the first resurrection, has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, and they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6. To him who washed us, who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then there's the heavenly rewards. In Colossians 3, 24, knowing that, the, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy and thieves break in and still, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and still. For where your treasure is, 
There your heart will be also. There we're going to have rewards and treasures in heaven. This is a whole nother message. But in 1 Corinthians 3, it tells us that all the good works we do to glorify God are metal and silver and precious stones that have great reward. Well, and the seventh thing is our heavenly or celestial, sorry, I wrote that wrong in the notes, terrestrial. Terrestrial is earthly, celestial is our heavenly. So our heavenly, celestial, or immortal bodies. In Romans 8, 16 to 18, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we shall also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed, not to us, in us. And Paul saw this, remember, in 2 Corinthians 12. He actually got a glimpse into heaven. And he's saying that the sufferings of this life, no matter what the sufferings are, are not compared to the glory that's going to be in us. These mortal bodies becoming celestial bodies and our new body in heaven giving glory to God it's going to blow our minds so how does one again just to take another commercial break if you didn't catch it the first time how does one become a child of God and heir with Christ here it is again John 1 12 and as many as simply receive him to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who, here it is, believe in his name. The word name is nature, his grace or forgiveness, his mercy. Do you believe right now that there's a God who loves the whole world? I'll tell you what, I, I don't think I could put my son up to die for anybody. Not even the best of the best. But God gave his only begotten son to be tortured, to die, and the worst of all, to bear all the sins of all men of all time upon him. It says in Hebrews, the soul that sin shall die. Well, Jesus had no sin of his own. So how is it that he died? You see, hypothetically, he could have lived on that cross for eternity. But he died. Why? It tells us. Peter says it plainly in, in Acts 2 and 3. Your sins put him to death. It wasn't the Jews that put him to death. It wasn't the Romans that put him to death. They were responsible for putting him on the cross. But who is responsible for Jesus dying? You are. Your sins put him to death. But now your sins will not put you to death. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Because if you believe on his name, if you receive Jesus, your sins are gone forever, buried in the deepest sea, scattered as far as the east is to the west, to never remembered, be remembered again. Well, here, the eighth and the final thing, what is our inheritance? Christ himself. Remember back in Genesis 14, where Abraham goes to deliver his nephew Lot and fights against these five demonic kingdoms. And he has the wealth now of all of these nations. And there before he's going to hand everything back to the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, this strange fellow 
shows up. Melchizedek. We learn in the book of Hebrews, it's Jesus. But interesting, he showed up as a king and a priest. Now, if you know, in the Jewish culture, that was impossible. Matter of fact, there were several kings that loved God so much. They're like, God, I know you blessed me being the king, but I wish you had blessed me more by letting me be a priest. Or David said, don't even make me a priest. Just make me a bird that can make a nest in the place of worship so I never have to leave it. But they couldn't. But sure enough, we find out that in Christ, and we are all in Christ, that we are kings and priests, both of Jesus. But he showed up and he gave Abraham basically communion. He gave him bread and he gave him wine. And after that, he went to the kings of Sodom and just said, I don't want any of your junk. I wouldn't even take a sandal, a piece of leather that fell off your sandal. I wouldn't take anything unless you say, I made Abraham rich. No, God and God alone has made Abraham rich. But then he didn't have any kids and he was sort of bummed out about that. And it's in chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. And listen, I am your exceedingly great reward. Wow. Now we see this being expanded as later on through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, his son, has 12 tribes. And there's a 13th tribe that doesn't get to be counted as one of the 12. You see, the tribe of Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, gets to be broken into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. But one of the tribes, the tribe of Levi, is taken out and not counted as a tribe. They get to be the priest of God. And in Numbers 18.20, he says, don't give them any portion of land. Numbers 18.20, then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion. I am your inheritance among the children of Israel. Joshua 13.3, he says this many other places in Deuteronomy. But just to finish up here, but in the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. And in the New Testament, we've already covered it in John 14. I will receive you to myself. I, where I am, you shall be also. Colossians 3.11, but he's our all in all. We sang that this morning. He's our all in all. Well, now in verse 18 of Ephesians 1, we see this word inheritance again, but quite in a different context. The eyes, he's praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of what? His inheritance in the saints. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you to understand how valuable you are in Christ, to Christ. I love it when the grandkids will jump up on your lap and they'll grab your head and say, oh, I got you, Grandpa. And then I'll put my arms around them and go, no, I got you, 
And then they try to break away. Oh man, I thought I had you. Yeah, we've got each other. This is the beauty of it. Christ is our reward. But he's got us too. We're his reward. In the Old Testament, God speaks this way of his chosen, the elect people, the Jews. The word chosen, elect, same word. In Deuteronomy 4.20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of an iron furnace, out of Egypt to be what? His people and inheritance as you are this day. In Deuteronomy 9.29, yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of the mighty power and by your outstretched arm. In Deuteronomy 32.9, and the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, another name for the nation of Israel, Jacob in the place of his inheritance. In the New Testament, we find here the chosen elect people is us. In Ephesians 3, 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, that the Gentiles would share in the body with the Jews together. So by extension, we are adopted into the house of Abraham, by children of faith. And so as the Jews were God's elect on this earth, now that we are in Christ, we are in Abraham as adopted children, we also now are God's inheritance, the elect of Christ. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are from God. You are not your own. We are God's. He's, he's, we are his inheritance. Jesus speaks intimately on this very important subject about us individually. John 17, one of my favorite chapters. In verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Look in verse, same chapter, John 17, verse 9 and 10. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. Yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Listen to John 17, 20 to 24. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those whom who believe in me through their word. This is talking about us, guys. Jesus is talking about us. That they, that's talking about us, all may be one as you, Father, are in me, that I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. Do you understand we are his inheritance and Christ is saying, fathers, I'm in you and you in me, that they would be in us and we in them. Look at verse 23, I in them, you in me, they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. The same love the father has for his son is the same love and that the whole world would see God's mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness and patience. And as people see, man, you, you, you are a messed up individual, but you have a God who's amazing. That's our testimony, isn't it? 
If God can save you, he can save anybody. If God wants a dummy like you, maybe he wants a dummy like me. Father, I desire, in verse 24 of John 17, I desire that also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. They may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me from the foundation of the world. We see this in the book of Song of Solomon. This is Solomon declaring his passion for his wife, but in reality, it's a picture of Christ's passion for his wife, the church. Remember in Ephesians 5.25, we're going to get there in a, in a couple of decades, but at this speed. Anyway, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Boy, did he on the cross and his death and his resurrection. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Listen to Solomon and how applicable it is to Christ, to the church. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me is love. This is talking about the marriage of the lamb, the feast in heaven when the rapture comes and all believers from Adam all the way to the rapture all together in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen in Revelation 19, 69. And I heard, and as it were, the voice of great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife, that's us guys, the church, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Well, going back to the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. There he is speaking, I believe, of the rapture of the church. And then in the next, in Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 4, Scarcely I would pass by them. When I found the one I loved, I held him and would not let him go. That's us towards Christ. Looking out, trying to find him in the early morning hours. Asking people, have you seen him? Do you know where he went? Nobody seems to have seen him. Finally, she finds him and she embraces him and won't let him go. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than the wine is your love. And the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Chapter 6, verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Song of Solomon 7:10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. He's our inheritance. We are his inheritance. He's not tolerating you, he's in love with you. And you say, I'm so unlovely. Why would anybody love me like that? I'm so unrighteous. I'm so struggling. I'm so weak. My flesh is so weak. 
My spirit is so willing, but my flesh is so weak. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you just think, yes, God loves us as a husband loves his bride. This is the church. We are the bride of Christ. So if it's true that Christ is our reward and that we are his reward, wouldn't living in the light of these truths change everything on how we sojourn on this earth? If that is true, would not Jesus be our focus, just like the bride in the Song of Solomon, seeking him out until she finds him? In Colossians 3.1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What? All of the heavenly things are yours, but he'll throw in all the earth stuff as well. If you seek Jesus, all the things of this earth will be taken care of. It's sort of irrelevant in the big picture. In the big light of all eternity, what kind of house and what kind of car and what kind of clothes we wear is sort of all stupid, isn't it? When we have treasures in heaven that will never fade away. Jesus, I believe if we really understand this, Jesus would be our life. In 2 Peter 1.3, as his divine power has given us, what? All things that pertain to life, all the earth stuff, and godliness, all the spiritual stuff, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Acts 17, 28, the beginning, in him we live and move and have our being. Even the pagans of Paul's day who believed in God, they had all kinds of gods. He said, I want to talk to you about this unknown God. And even then, your philosophers agree when you find the real God, you will make in him you live and move and have your being. And I'm here to tell you today, take your faith in this unknown God or any other God you believe in and believe in the only God there is. And he preached Christ and many there believed. This is the key, the direction we should all be heading in. It cannot be said better than Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. We were in him in the cross when he died, paying for our sins. We were there with him in the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith. Amen to that? From faith to faith. Trusting in his righteousness now, trusting in his righteousness forever. I live in this flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to read it again now. Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Selah. <laughs> Meditate. But it's Christ who lives in me. 
the life which I now live in the flesh, a vapor of time, very short, very painful. I live by faith. I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One person put it this way. Jesus must become our sole attention, our number one focus, our single delight, our only drive, our consuming passion, our turn on, our beat of our heart, the flow of our life, every thought of our mind, every word upon our lips, all our energy and resources in him. Jesus has become the fullness, the consumption of our very lives. If Jesus is our inheritance, we would live for Christ in a unique way. Our inheritance is not an unknown inheritance in some legal document in some lawyer's lockbox. Our inheritance is known by us and in part can be experienced now. Christ has taken full possession of us and now we must take full possession of him. We are his and he is ours. Oh, what a great day to take communion. If you don't have a communion cup and you want one, it's for believers that are here. If you're not a believer here, I wouldn't suggest you take it. But if you believed in Christ today, what a perfect day to take communion. The first day of your conversion. If you need a cup, raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. If not, let's just go into worship. Lord, we come now to you. Lord, we come. Fully embracing this truth of our inheritance, obtaining our inheritance, and more importantly, understanding you are also obtaining your inheritance. And those two things collide in the most marvelous way. All that you are. As a child of God, we are a child of God. As righteous perfectly, we also become perfect in righteousness. Loved of the Father, we also become loved of the Father. In heaven for eternity, we also will be in heaven for eternity. With all the treasures that will never fade away, we also have all the treasures of, in heaven and a new earth. One day everything will melt. It will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will be with you there. Lord, search our hearts right now. Take out, by your grace, take out that earth stuff that's holding us back, that's keeping us from willing to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow you. I want to follow you, but as long as it's not too heavy, as long as it's not too splintery, as long as it doesn't embarrass me, as long as I don't have to be afraid about what others think about me for being a Christian, Lord, let us die to this world, that we would die, as Paul says, and live unto you now. We died with Christ, so we rose again with you, Christ, to live for you fully on this second on earth, these few days we have left on this planet would be fully lived, that men would see your love for us 
see how loved we are by God and believe in Jesus as well. As Jesus broke the bread, he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. We find in 1 Corinthians 11, those who were being flippant, weren't coming in faith, were just being religious. He says, hey, you need to stop it. Because some are weak, some are sick, some have even been taken home early to heaven. So they wouldn't be judged of the world because they were not honoring God, being worthy, taking communion in a worthy way. What's an unworthy way? I think it's just not believing in faith. Faith to faith, Lord, we come now. We believe if we eat your flesh and drink your blood, we have eternal life. We also, Lord, can come like the woman with the hemorrhage who touched the hem of your garment. She purposed in her heart, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So instead of becoming weak, taken in an unworthy way, we'd be strengthened by taking it in a worthy way. Instead of being made sick, taken in an unworthy way, that we'd be healthy and whole, you'd heal us. And instead of dying and exiting early, that you would renew us and give us a greater life, power, strength in our walk with you. Be done to you according to your faith. Just take a moment, pour out your heart quietly in your own heart. Just cry out to God and worship before we eat of this bread and just say, Lord, I, I believe you for this. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's your child, maybe it's a situation in the home or at work. Come out to his table right now and believe like the woman with the hemorrhage. If I touch the Lord here in his broken body in communion, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Be it unto you according to your faith. This is the body of Christ that was broken for you. Take this in remembrance of him. The same way he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant. The old covenant could only take away or cover sins for a year. Christ's blood takes away sin forever. And even why now we are weak and we fall and we stumble along the way. Little children don't sin, but if you do sin, we have this right here, a propitiation, not only for our sins, but the whole world in his blood. Lord, as we take this, cleanse us. Now cleanse us again, cleanse us again. We celebrate, Lord, the power of your blood that's gonna make us stand righteous before your throne without spot, without blemish, without any such thing, but perfect as a bride in her wedding dress, pure white without any stain. So we shall be because of your blood. We thank you. We confess our sins. You're faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rejoice now, celebrate now in the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. Take now in the remembrance of him. Mm. 
Hallelujah. He's risen. Amen.